Oh, this is the one that makes the noise. <laughs> um, so this morning, what I'm going to do, if you go to the first slide, I'm going to go back a little bit to next to last week, not next week. That would kind of be like back to the future. <laughs> I'm really into that. Um, and because Patty asked a really good question in our discussion time. So, and she asked, she talked, well, actually, as you mentioned, kind of shared how it's when somebody is going through something really difficult, it's easy for us to, um, to maybe we feel like we have to say something, we, we have to help, we have to do something. And so it could be easy for us in, in all goodness and wanting to help to think, try and think of something helpful to say and quote a Bible verse. And sometimes that just, it's not the right time. And it, and it just doesn't work. And what I have found just in, in doing ministry is one of the big questions I hear regularly, many, many, many times over the years, when something bad or evil or tragic happens is, People asking the question, why did God allow that? Or why did God not prevent that? That is a question to which there is not <laughs> an answer that will give comfort when somebody is in the midst of it. And, and I will show here in a minute, it's really a question that we're not going to know in this world. So the two phrases, I think, from Romans 8, 28, because often this is the verse that's used to try in a good, honest heart, give comfort. But the person going through something isn't thinking that way. They're thinking in a whole different way. And I think that question is an honest question. So honest that Jesus asked it on the cross, did he not? On the cross, he said, my God, my God, Everybody say it. Why? Why? And you know what's amazing? Is he, he the, the, those who recorded it in our Gospels recorded it in two languages so that everybody would get it. Each time it's, he has the Aramaic and then he has the, I was going to say English, but Greek. <laughs> <laughs> but in your Bible, it'll be in English. But you know, it's kind of like when they, you know, at the Olympics, they have the, they have the language of the person who won and then whatever the language is, you know, kind of a thing. So that everybody, at least most people, c can get it. And this first phrase, God causes all things. And, and the question, well, and, and that is her. And they think, well, then why didn't God stop this? If God causes all things, then God could have also have stopped it. What I've found is that many, not all for sure, but many, many who've lost faith and rejected faith because of this. Something really terrible happening, and this question, you know, wondering why God didn't do something for them in that situation. 
The second phrase here, which I did not talk about last week, was all things work together for good. What, what we've done with these two phrases, we pull them out of their context. And so we say all things work together for good, but in, in context, like I said, this is not describing God's role in evil, whether he ordains it or allows it. And it's also, it's not saying that it all work out. I think we see that, we think, oh, it's all gonna work out. Well, that's not at all what he's, he's saying something really different there. And, and I'm just gonna paraphrase this just in a language I think we can understand. And, and it's really a casual paraphrase of Romans 8.28, whatever happens, good or evil. Not, this Romans 8.20 isn't talking about God's role in the happening. It's just not doing that. I, I don't see how anyone can read it in its context and think that. It's saying whatever happens, good or evil, God will work in and through what happened to bring about his good work of transforming us into the image of Jesus. So if we look at it that way, that's different. It's, it's more what Paul's trying to communicate than maybe what at times we hear like, oh, it's, it's all gonna be for good. All, you know, which doesn't help somebody. So with that, I'm gonna stop there and, and just appreciate what Patty shared last week. And, and I'm going to move. Now we are going to go through chapter, start in chapter nine and go through the end of chapter 11. So lunch is actually gonna be at 12.30 today, not 11. <laughs> no, I am going to go through it quickly. So I sent a little video, because what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna highlight a couple of places. I, actually, it wasn't a video, but I sent links out to the Bible Project, because there's an entire section on Pharaoh and God's God hardening Pharaoh's heart, and, and, it, and it causes a lot of question. 9 through 11 is filled with theological issues and challenges like election and predestination and free will and Calvinism and Arminianism, and I am not going to deal with any of those. We're going to talk about Moretism here, so <laughs> this is, <laughs> and those do not compare with the other names I mentioned in any way, shape, or form. I understand that, but I'm just going to throw out my thoughts on what is trying to be said, and I would say there's many now, biblical scholars and theologians who are maybe taking a, a more balanced approach than the arguments and stuff, and so we're gonna kinda look at it in that way. And so we're gonna start here with a, <clears throat> chapter nine, verses 13 through 14, because this is another hard pass. Oh, the Bible Project stuff, it's really helpful if you have questions about, well, God hardened his heart, well then he's not responsible, and those kind of questions, they answer those. So you can go back, I'd encourage you to read those, we're not talking about those this morning. Verse 13, though, is another one that's really hard. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. So that's hard. He he loved Jacob, but God hated Esau? Well, that doesn't sound like God, to hate somebody. 
And then he, Paul, after saying that, anticipates their response. Well, then God is unfair or unjust. And he says, may it never be. So what is he saying here? And here's, there's disagreement on this. Here's my thoughts. And as one scholar wrote, this is an idiom when it's used. This comes out of Malachi, this verse, not Genesis. Jacob, I loved Esau. And it doesn't say Esau. <laughs> it says Edom, which are the people of Esau. Many, many hundreds, thousands of years later, he's talking to them. Paul's going to do some unique things with it. It's an idiom for the ones, for, one's cho- for a person's chosen status or a people's chosen <clears throat> status. It's not an emotional expression. It is not giving hatred and love emotions to God. It is speaking about a person who is chosen and a person who is not. And so this is what is called theology of election that he's getting into here. And he's dealing in context with this, all that's going on in chapters 9 through 11 relate to Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians and their conflicts. So we have to bring it all, all back to that. And what he is basically saying is this, to the Jewish people who believe they have to follow, to observe Torah, and many of the Jews will see have rejected, the Jewish people in general have rejected their Messiah. And what he's doing here is he's saying to them, you are Esau, not Jacob, because you've rejected God's promise, God's Messiah. Just like Esau rejected the birthright, you folks have rejected your Messiah. So that's what he's saying. Election is not about being chosen to go to heaven or it is not about individual salvation. Now that's different for some. But in Romans, it's not talking about you being elected for salvation. It is what it's talking about is agency. And what I mean by that, it's talking about the person or the people who are chosen to be the agents or vessel for blessing to the world. And Israel's problem throughout the Old Testament was starting with Abraham, and we'll see this as we go through in context real quickly. Starting with Abraham, God blessed Abraham, chose blessed Abraham, why? So that he might be a blessing to the world, to all the nations. God would make a great nation out of him so that all the nations might be blessed. And Israel continually gave up on that mission. And and what he's saying here is Jacob was chosen, is elected here as the one to carry God's blessing to the world, including Esau. And Israel just never did that. Well, very rarely, I should say. Occasionally, they would be that way. But most of the time, they were at odds with the world. 
enemies with the world that they were supposed to bless. So if we go in context, verse 1 of chapter 9, I'm just going to read this. I am telling you the truth. I am not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple's service and the promises. Whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. Paul, Israel has rejected their Messiah and Paul's broken over this. And so he's gonna, she's trying to explain to the Jewish Christians and other Jews who are reading this where they've gone astray in this passage. And what he's going to do, he's going to just take them through an entire narrative of the Old Testament in just a couple of little verses. So we go to the next slide. It said, but it is not as though the word of God has failed or the promise of God has failed. So this has all happened, but God's promise, he, God's still going to, he's still working, he's still going to fulfill it all. Still going to bring it all about. For they are not all Israel. Here it says, for they are not all Israel who are descendants from Israel. Neither are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendant will be named. He's simply saying, it's not about ethnicity. It's never been about ancestry or genealogy. It's, and the whole message of Romans, it's about faith, grace, and the promise of God. He says that it is not the children of the flesh in verse 8 who are children of God, but the children of promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And he's talking about that here. And again, what he's saying is, the people of Israel have become Ishmael because they have rejected the Messiah. And now the Gentiles, in one sense, become Israel. Go to the next slide. He continues this. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For, through the for though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose according to his choice might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. So this all happens before they're ever born. All this is so, it has nothing to do in one sense with them. It has everything to do with God and how, as you go through the Old Testament, you see God is always surprising with the way he goes about. It's always unexpected. It's always different. Than, it's always not the human way, but the God way. So then from there in chapter 2, he goes into the whole thing about Pharaoh being hardened. And then in chapter 9, he gets into this um, conflict 
about between back into the Jew and Gentile conflict in Rome. And then in verse 9, he says this. If you confess, in chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scriptures say, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So this is very familiar. It's we, this is our, one of our gospel verses, right? We, we share this, and it's one of those gospel summaries. It's really important that in all the gospel summaries, there's other gospel summaries that add different things and, and take away different things. Here, his focus is on confessing Jesus is Lord. And we know what that means. That means Caesar is not. When you confess Jesus is Lord, you are, yes, you are confessing his divinity, that he is God, the Son, but you are also confessing and swearing allegiance and loyalty to a new master, to a new Lord. Not Caesar, but Jesus. And then we go to verse 12. And this is kind of his point with all of this, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Everybody comes to God the same way not by observing the law. or Everybody comes to God and is made right with God by faith in Jesus. Just, he's just saying you're, you're all in the same boat. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Then he says this, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? So what he's telling them now is, okay, here's the situation. Those of you who have come to Jesus, you're blessed. Why? So that you might be a blessing to the world. And Paul's concern, and, and the way we do that is through bringing Jesus into the world. And we do that through proclamation and the performance of the life and the good news of Jesus in the world. And what Paul is concerned about is that the people, the Christians in Rome, have gotten into too much conflict that they are no longer being a blessing to the world. The conflict is preventing them from bringing Jesus to the world. And Paul's trying to explain, just like Israel always had it wrong, it's not about you, it's about the world God loves and he wants you, he's chosen you as his ministers to it. He's saying, oh my goodness, the church now is becoming the same. He's trying to stop that. And the question, of course, is, is that same with us today? Not us, but our world today. And I know, you know, I know because of my job, my life is in this world, and I, and I just honestly say this, there's great conflict in Christianity in our country today. 
I mean, not, not conflict with the world, conflict with one another. And I think Paul would be appalled. People canceling, important Christians in our country canceling out or whatever you want to say, kind of doing, saying, yeah, they're gone. To other important Christians in our world, leading people. And it's, and like Paul said, it's, it's, we become like Israel who've forgotten our calling. Why we're chosen. We're arguing about what it means to be chosen and not remembering why. Theology has to be practical. All theology is practical, and all practice is theology. And I think we've lost that. Notice verse 15, he says, And how shall they preach unless they are sent, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. And are our feet beautiful? I'm not, you know, I mean, there. And are we bringing glad tidings of good things? Are we beautiful people bringing glad tidings of good things? That's our calling. Chapter 11, so in what he does after this is he starts talking about uh, branches and how Israel has been cut off from the vine because they have rejected Messiah and the Gentiles have been grafted in and he goes, and I'm not going to go through it, but he goes through this elaborate metaphor explaining this, trying to heal this division and all that's going on and give hope that God's work isn't over. And in verse 30, and at the end of chapter 11, he's summing up everything that he has said, all that he has said beginning in chapter 1. And he says this in, in chapter 11, verse 30, for just as you, he's talking to the Gentiles, so just as you Gentiles were disobedient to God, go all the way back to chapter 1. Remember in 118, he's talking about the Gentile world and their disobedience and all that happened as a result of that. So he brings all of that back. You Gentiles were this way, disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their Israel, Jewish people's disobedience. So, these also have been disobedient, the Jews, in order that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. And then he says these words, for God has shut up all in disobedience. Christians like that Deep part of theology and, you know, the fall and total depravity. There's all kinds of theological, systematic theological issues talking about that. So we agree with that. And then he says this. 
that he might show mercy to all. So to whatever, at whatever level you understand, for God has shut up all in disobedience, at the same level, you must, we must understand that he has shown mercy to all. Because they're parallel. That's Paul's whole point. The whole point of all of this, all of this theology reveals God's mercy. What is predestination about? The mercy of God. What is free will about? The mercy of God. What is election about? The mercy of God. It all points to and reveals and comes to its conclusion that God is merciful to all. And then in verse 33, closes the chapter with a doxology. He says this, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. When people ask why God not whatever, we who want to help need to stop and think, yeah, I don't understand. God's ways are, look what he says, how unsearchable. You cannot do a chat GBT to get an answer. You cannot Google this one. <laughs> you will find nothing on the whole of the internet. That allows us to fully understand God's ways and God's judgments. For he has shown, for who has the, known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So now we're going to move to chapter 12. And in, and in chapter 12, what we, what, it's the practical stuff. We have all this wonderful practical stuff. And usually when we divide up the um, book of Romans, and they put it in sections, you know, it's like now is how to live everything we've just learned. So let's go to verse 12, verse 1, and see if that's true. And here's what it says. I appeal to you, therefore. Now, what's the therefore, therefore? You've already heard that, right? And we all know. You know it's, and, and, and they would say, well, it's, it means to go back to where you were, and that's true. Except it also means something even more important than that. The Bible was not written when Paul wrote it. He did not write, oh, chapter 12, right? We know that. That came in in like the 1200s, you know, to somebody riding on a horse. What did it? That's what I heard. It's always explained to me. And whenever horse bumped, a new chapter happened. <laughs> the therefore is therefore is there to tell you this. This is not a new chapter. Don't see... We read it, you know, we even have these read through the Bible five chapters a day. And, and that's all good and great, but we think because of that, 
We are so used to say, oh, Paul's starting something different. But we can't think that way. He's saying, no, this is a continuation. And so he goes all through chapter, all through 1 through 11 in chapter 1, he says, I appeal you therefore, brothers and sisters, what? By the mercies of God. Everything is mercy. You know, in Romans, we've, we've looked at judgment. We've looked at wrath. We've looked at suffering, tragedy. When we stand in the presence of God, there will be judgment. We know that. But all, in all of that, at that moment, what we will realize is God's been merciful to all over everything. Now, we cannot get that. We, we are not going to be able to understand that here. But a day will come. Not here. That's the hard part, isn't it? Because we want it to come here. But it, we're, our, we're just not capable of understanding God's tremendous mercy. But we can know and have the hope that in that day, I'll be like, oh, there's going to be this, oh, God has been merciful to me. God has been merciful to all. What that's going to look like, I don't know. None of us do. We can be assured of it. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that we would be able to believe, trust, that your mercy, your love will be fully revealed. There are so many verses in your Bible that tell us that the time will come when all will know of your great love. And we'll be able to experience it as we can in our fullness, as we cannot now, but we will be able to then. And we look forward to that day. May we be people of hope when, Lord, when there's trouble in our world, may we be people of hope that there is another world that we live for. This is not the best of worlds. But we expect, we hope for the best of worlds for that time to come. In your name we pray.